Boys, let's go. Welcome to fucking Crane Kit Commentaries. <laughs> Tonight oh, we're doing fucking Goon. It's a movie. Uh, I, I'm Jake. And as always, I'm joined by fuck my boys, uh, Keaton. Yep. And, uh, and today we got, we got Felix in, in, up in here again. Hey boys, what's going on? <laughs> now, now what, now what goal horn do you have there? Is that the actual factual goal horn for the, uh, the Halifax Highlanders, or uh, no, no, it is not. Oh my god, buddy! <laughs> <laughs> and you guys thought it was problematic when we did when when I did a movie with aliens. What do you mean? You guys are much worse with the Come hockey on, stuff. <laughs> we, we... <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know what you're going on about there, bud. All right. But, uh... Before we get started, that music was fantastic and it's super epic. But um, I think in order to get properly hyped, I really need to hear that. Um, goal horn again. NHL I 94. agree. No, no, not the goal horn. The NHL '94 theme well, music. Well, well, how about this goal horn? <laughs> exactly. That's pretty good too. That's a perfect goal horn. <laughs> a Bob and Doug sketch <laughs> No, nah, but it's close. The green <laughs> white gold horn. Like, like a dime store version of it. <laughs> I'm really disappointed good. I did not put the Great White North on uh on the soundboard. Oh, yeah. Like the the yeah. what the song they did with Getty Lee. Oh yeah. Speaking of Getty Lee. What about Getty Lee? Well I noticed there was a Somewhere near the beginning of this film, there is a uh, they play Working Man, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a nice bit of Canadiana," which is a theme that is reiterated throughout the movie. But yeah, th- at the same There's... time, I was like, "You're gonna play Rush, and you're gonna play Rush pre Neil Peart. That's a that's a bold choice. <laughs> that is a bold choice. Yeah. It is indeed a bold Rest choice. Rest in peace. But yeah, R.I.P. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's a good fucking song. It uh, really fits the movie. But you know, yeah. It is a shame that it was not one of the classic period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this week on the Rush Rush podcast, <laughs> every week is the Rush podcast. <laughs> so should we get straight into it? Yeah. All right. So uh, Felix. Yeah. You wanna you wanna summarize the movie for us? Well, I mean, I think the whole movie is summarized by just stating that this is Jay Baruchel's hockey fantasy. <laughs> no, but yeah, for real, I guess it's the, uh, the, 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 really, the plot is that you got this guy, Doug, uh, oh, no, I forget what his last name is. Doug Glatt. Doug Glatt, okay, Doug Glatt, and, uh, he's a bouncer at a bar, eh? And uh, one day he, he goes to a hockey game and he gets in a scrap because this guy's in the penalty box and he 
and he he calls his gay brother gay and so he just loses his shit and he beats him up and the coach is like hey you seem like you're good at fighting why don't we get you as an enforcer totally realistic plot line for sure and then uh, he joins the team and he's so good at fighting that they promote him to a different more professional league where he also is good at fighting and basically his job is to protect this wimpy little uh goal scorer uh who's who's all scared because he got concussed a few years back and then uh and basically it goes from there and in the end you know he overcomes his demons because uh you know Doug Glad beats up the guy who gave him the concussion in the first place and yeah. there's a love interest yeah. the whole time too i guess <laughs> yeah kind a of a very <laughs> weird love interest story but you know what would you say is the is the main theme of the movie uh CanCon. <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah, that's an excellent answer. I agree. For those non-Canadian listeners, I guess CanCon is short for Canadian content. There's certain laws in yeah. Canada. I, I think we've actually mentioned it a couple times on the podcast oh, already. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the second episode in a row we're doing a pretty Canadian. Yeah. Actually, last uh, time we production. had you on, I think we mentioned it when we were talking about Men in Black. Because uh, Men in Black is the comic is technically CanCon. Okay, right, <laughs> well, right. no, no, it's not. It's not the, the 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 illustrator of the comic. Yeah, so which makes the whole comic CanCon. Oh, okay, because yeah, right. you don't need not it totally. to be entirely. Yeah. Okay, so so Goon Goon's a sports comedy. Yeah. Um, released in uh, 2011, uh, at the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh, Sorry, really? I think you pronounced that incorrectly. You mean I'm Tiff? Toronto. Oh, sorry. The Toronto, the Toronto International. <laughs> Toronto. <Film Festival>. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm talking to a microphone. I have to enunciate every word. Toronto. Yeah. No. The Toronto International Film Festival. That's better. <laughs> All right. Uh, director Michael Dows of. I think Fubar. it's Dows. Dows. Yeah. I don't know. I've never said it out loud before. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Of Fubar, you guys seen Fubar? Oh yeah, classic I movie. I have not. Oh, um, it's a very similarly Canadian movie, but it's like <laughs> way darker. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah, like... that the director is very Cancun. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, it, it, yeah, it's like it's sort of this independent uh, Canadian film that's like super, super cheaply made, but it's just about following these two like metalheads in Alberta. Right, okay. That sounds decent. pretty entertaining. The uh, screenplay is written by a Canadian, Evan Goldberg, um, who, if you you may or may not know, is the writing partner, childhood uh, best friend of Seth Rogen. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, he, he you know, co wrote Super Bad and Pineapple Express and all those with oh, Seth yeah, Rogen. Okay. Yeah. Um, co-written, as we've mentioned, by a fellow Canadian, and as we've also mentioned as well, Habs fanatic, uh, Jay, I'm going to mispronounce his name over and over again. It's Baruchel, right? Baruchel. Yeah. Jay Baruchel. I know, but... All right, but so like... as, as we mentioned, Jay's a Habs fan, but we will not hold that against him. <laughs> you know, uh, so it, we are all, everybody on this podcast right now is a is a pretty diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan, so... Yeah, I think that yeah. will just be probably clear 
as we talk about this, our perspective. I'm sure it'll 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 leak in. into the into everything. <laughs> I'm, then. I'm, I, I mean, sure I'm wearing my jersey right now, so yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, you forgot to mention Jay Baruchel of Notorious, the Sorcerer's Apprentice fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, how to Train um, Your Dragon. How to uh, Train Your Dragon. Popular Mechanics for Kids. Popular yeah. Mechanics for Kids with uh, Alicia Cuthbert. Absolutely. Yeah, but do either of those movies have Nick Cage in them? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't remember the Popular Mechanics for Kids with um, with Nick Cage, but it would have been a good episode, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've, you've got, in the lead role, you've got Sean William Scott, um, you know. From American Pie, and uh, also not with Nicolas Cage, and not with Nicolas Cage. Again, that movie. A lot of movies could have been improved if you added Nicolas Cage. Um, almost all. Almost all, yeah. Um, Unless they already have Nicolas Cage in them. Well, what if you cast Nick Cage in a different role in, in two like, roles? Nick Cage, not necessarily two roles, but just recast him as a different role. Oh well, I mean, there's Face Off where I guess he technically plays two roles. I was gonna say he he basically plays yeah. two roles in that movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. We should do that movie sometime. We definitely um, will. Anyway, I I I I I would I would be really down to do it. <laughs> there's also a couple of other Canadians, um, in in the movie. I mean, they're basically uh, Allison all Canadian. Pill. Yeah, there's a lot of other Canadians, but Alice. I mean, in the in the lead roles there's allison pill and you also got eugene levy i believe it's levy is it levy it's definitely levy yeah i don't know i've always i think it's i think it's levy Levy. i've always called him that but 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 i think it might be eugene levy all right oh well (laughs) all i care is i just say eugene my my opinion my opinion is that he was pretty underutilized in this movie yeah yeah he could have he could have had I saw him at the beginning, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Eugene's in this." I didn't, I didn't realize. I was like, "We're in for a treat," and then, and then he was yeah. in for all of all of about ten minutes total. Yeah, yeah and he didn't do anything. He wasn't even funny in in any of it. Like, yeah, he was really. just mildly homophobic. <laughs> yeah, he was like, yeah, exactly. He was mildly homophobic and just like uncomfortable. Yeah, he's just like, and oh yeah, like, my son's gay. Yeah, but you know, he's adopted, so you know, don't blame, yeah, don't exactly. blame it on me. Yeah. And you've got also, you know, Leave Schreiber. Oh yeah, I mean, I think um, he's he's a real highlight in terms of this in terms of this film. Yeah, like he his really performance kinda, is like pretty excellent. It's great. Yeah, it's one of the best in the movie for sure. Yeah, it kind of his char- that character honestly really kind of saved this movie for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Okay. When when the film was was released, it was a box office flop. Yeah. Um, I, I could see that. I mean, it, it it doesn't like intrinsically necessarily have a lot of box office appeal. No, it 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 grossed only seven million dollars. Yeah. Um, on a twelve million dollar budget Ooh, in the box is that office. Canadian or American? I don't know. I just always get my box office off of. Well, I mean, I suppose it doesn't matter as long as they're in the same unit, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not great. I mean, I can kind of like, yeah, like you said, there's. I mean, it's an entertaining movie, but it's not something I'd be dying to go see in theaters or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. No, but like, obviously, like, there's a sequel, right? So, so obviously, I think when it 
came out on like streaming platforms it it, it became kind of a sleeper hit and like was right um performed really well on like netflix and whatever all yeah what have the, you. the sequel didn't come out until like six years later or something like that yeah exactly yeah. so the, clearly this, this it, movie took a while to sort of stew yeah but on the day of the premiere um the tiff premiere um posters of the movie i don't know if you guys remember this but posters for the movie were removed from toronto and montreal subways because of the 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 gesture oh um because of which gesture you know the one with like, where he, like with the cross fingers going blah, 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 that he does throughout the whole movie jay barishell does throughout the whole movie right he he's doing that in one of the posters, and apparently uh, uh, the advertiser Astral Media okay. received several complaints. Oh, so really? They, like, they oh, pulled God. it all. They pulled all these posters. That's annoying. That's kind of reprint a bunch of fucking posters. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's, I mean, it's not that. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, apparently, Lee Schreiber said, um, "As a man with two kids, he understood why why some people would find it offensive." Mm-hmm. So so he he condoned it, it, it going down. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, J.B. Rochelle's character is also not in it for that long. <laughs> yeah, that's also yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. But he wanted to be on the poster. Yeah, he. I mean, he wrote the movie, so he wanted and to produced, didn't he? be on the poster, yeah. Actually, I don't know if he produced this one. I think he did. Let me double oh, yeah, check Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He okay. did. So yeah, so let we let's get into the some of the, the 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 backstory for this for this movie. Yeah. Um. Just just like last week when we did the fly, this movie was uh also based on a book. Mm-hmm. Um. The the title of the book this one was based on is a uh, goon, the true story of an unlikely journey into minor league hockey, um, by Adam Fratazio. Um, with Doug Smith. So Doug Smith co-wrote it. Doug Smith co-wrote yeah, okay, it yeah, with yeah. his like childhood friend Adam Fratazio. Oh, okay, right. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So knowing Doug what Smith, I know about Doug Smith, I I wouldn't expect him to write a book on his own. No, no. Who, who's Doug it, Smith? Is he's is he the character? Is he? The, he's uh, the titular goon. Yeah. Okay. yeah. He's the character he is, that Doug Glatt is based on. He's oh, okay. the enforcer, which the book is is about. Yeah. So so basically, Doug uh, uh, Doug Smith. Um, was an American dude uh, who was trained as a boxer, like his father was a boxer. Um, so in his teens, he was he was trained as a boxer, um, and he didn't get into hockey until his early twenties. Uh, when his friend Adam Fratazio, who co-wrote the book with him, uh, kind of like pushed him into into to like learning how to skate, and they kind of like did like a fake hockey fights without skates on and shit. <laughs> what? This was in the eighties, right? late 80s early 90s he so he made a brief career uh being an enforcer well not that brief but um it was 10 years uh, wasn't it yeah 10 years yeah so that's not brief at all no so but i mean okay so from 19 1988 to 1998 he played on seven seven different minor league teams yeah um according to hockey db his best season was his first one um, um, that's never a good sign. <laughs> well, because most of his other seasons, he barely played any games. I mean, it depends what you mean by best, though. Like, because, I mean, obviously, he wasn't there to score goals. 
No, but I just mean he played. This is the game. Like he he basically didn't play any games most of his other seasons. Oh, okay, right, right. So was he, he just was like? The... I guess they just what what? Why are you sticking around then? If... I really don't know. Like he just got bounced between teams for basically most of his career. Like right. his first his first season was the only one here where he got real like ice time. Right. He he huh. he played a career high of twenty eight games. Right. Um. And so the he highest scored... he made it was AHL, right? Yeah. Which is, you but... know, considerably, like, you know, impressive. For sure. Yeah, but he, those, were the, those, were the, those were the years that he was, he was mostly just benched. Like, he only played, like, two games or something in his AHL. In right. The AHL. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, he, in, his, in his career high 28-game uh, 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 rookie season, he, uh, he scored zero goals. And collected one assist, um, and 179 penalty minutes. Ooh, yeah, excellent. Yeah, so, so it's. He's I think a, it's pretty clear he, his 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 purpose there was uh was not to play hockey, as it were. Yeah, so in 28 not. games, that's that's an average of 6.4 minutes a game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he so, was probably like a fourth liner. Three like. three roughing minors a game. Yeah. Or major misconduct and a and a minor. Yeah. Wait, wait. How many how many penalty minutes you say he had? One hundred and seventy nine total, which for twenty eight games works out to six point four per game average. Six point four penalty minutes a game. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> pretty 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 impressive. Yeah. So, but are you telling yeah. me though that the 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 scene in the movie where he scores a goal with his butt? is not actually reality that's a dramatization yeah, yeah that's i ho- mean hollywood hollywood magic oh. but not hollywood but hollywood magic yeah. hollywood that's, that's magic. winnipeg magic winnipeg magic yeah this this movie winnipeg was shot in winnipeg butt magic. yeah that's winnipeg yeah. butt magic <laughs> but yeah we'll we'll talk a bit more about doug smith a bit later just thought we'd introduce yeah. you to but yeah it, to... it does say in the beginning it's based on a true story but uh, yeah. it is, it is it's like loosely based primarily loosely, yeah, yeah. sure so according to the uh, the executive producer for the film Jesse Shapira um he and co-producer a guy named David Gross uh discovered the Doug Smith book in the mid 2000s and they spent like 6 years trying to turn it into a movie um the, the this pair these guys would actually later go on to produce the Oscar winning film Room um which okay, is also yeah. Canadian, also Canadian production. Oh yeah, Room, not to be confused with The Room. No, very different movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, one got Brie Larson an Oscar, and one definitely did not. Um, once once they uh secured the rights to the to the book, the pair uh, approached Evan Goldberg to write the script. Goldberg was on board, but he didn't know very much about hockey, so he he recruited Jay Baruchel, as we know. Who knows a little bit about hockey? Who is he? He 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 recruited him because of his hockey fanaticism. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> as, we, as we mentioned, which was centered around the Habs. Right. Yeah, I I think his uh his uh his house has been described as a shrine to the Habs. Is that is that real? <laughs> Yeah, people have gone in and said it's said it's creepy. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, he was he he was born in or he he born in Ottawa. Um but 
raised in Montreal, hence the Habs. Um, according to him, his family was like, they're definitely obviously a hockey family, but they're a pro-enforcer, pro-fighting, quote-unquote, hockey family. Mm. Right. Um, and the way, when he was like promoting the movie, the way he talked about like the, the idea and the roles of enforcers, um, he said they, they deserved like a lot of respect in his household and like they garnered a lot, garnered a lot of respect in his household. Um, his father looked up to guys like that. Interesting. Yeah. And his father, you know, played hockey and was a rough player and apparently he would come home pretty bruised up now and again. Mm. Um, and he also said about his mother that during the fights, she would be shouting the loudest. So he was like, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things that, like, it makes me see this as, like, you know, uh, Jay Baruchel's, like, hockey fantasy. Because yeah. it's, like, you know, totally. uh, Jay Baruchel, obviously, if you've ever seen him, is he's not he's not a very big guy. Uh, no. He doesn't look no. that athletic. Um, no. But, like, yeah, so, like, it's kind of like I get the sense like he wishes he could uh, partake in Be that, in f- <laughs> but he never really got the chance. Yeah, well, also yeah. from what you're saying about like his mom being the one who shouted the loudest, it kind of all sounds like this is his like dramatization of his like this is how I imagine my parents met. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's funny. That's like it's an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of when we Jake and I we were first talking a bit. Um, we'll get into kind of this in more detail later on, but um, just how we weren't really sure if this movie was like kind of celebrating enforcers or if it was like more of a uh, like sat- yeah. work of satire. I mean, um, I was thinking not just about like celebrating enforcers, but also some of the stuff that happens in the locker room in this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that for sure. Like, uh, but yeah, no, I I, I would say that this movie f- at after some looking into firmly comes out on the side of uh, celebrating the role of enforcers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I would have I definitely think so. It's it's pretty Yeah. It's they they it's stated like a lot of times in the movie what kind of importance of a role he has within the team, you know, he's like a mm-hmm. supposed to be an integral part of the team dynamic and there's Yeah. Space. Yeah. And like you know, it's kind of the heart of the team, and it's 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 more of a camaraderie thing. You know, if my yeah. team needs me to bleed, then I'll bleed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, well, well, we can tell. We'll talk about that more later. Yeah, our, our our editorial stance on that. Yeah, whole debate. Um. But yeah, I just I just figured we'd mention that now because it's yeah, Jay Baruchel's very very clear that they're celebrating the like gladiator bleed for my team idea of the enforcer, not necessarily the violence. He yeah, um, I mean, I think it's but... it's it's kind of the perspective that you get on like on Doug at least is like Doug isn't necessarily like he doesn't necessarily enjoy fighting. But yeah, you know, he's just really good at it. He's, got he's a... really good at it. And, you know, he's never he's never been a part of something, uh, you know, where he gets to, like, you know, put on a uniform and represent. Uh, but, you know, and this is what they needed to do. So he does it happily because he gets to wear the sweater. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad for that point. It's like the only way it is can... a little sad because it does sort of feel like Doug's being taken advantage of. If, yeah, in, in a certain way. <laughs> but 
I mean, he's you a know. willing participant, but like he's got nothing else to offer, and he's like a sad loner. So he's like all too happy, even though he doesn't like beating people up to do it anyway. Like, yeah, just so he I'll, can be I'll bleed for my team if they need me to bleed. It's like, listen, I've never had anything better going in my life, so I might as well. Yeah, which which kind of like brings me to the point of what do you guys think of Sean William Scott's uh, performance? Glatt, yeah. I thought it was, like, really odd, because, like, it's, like, not clear if, like, he's trying to, if, if Doug Glatt is supposed to, like, legit have a learning disability. Yeah. Because, uh, like, he plays it like he's Forrest Gump. He, that, that's hilarious it's... that you said that, because <laughs> in an, it, <laughs> he said in an interview, this is a, uh, a quote, he said he didn't want to turn the film into Forrest Gump on ice. <laughs> It's it's a bit like that. There are certain aspects of that, but I wouldn't say that the film <laughs> is Forrest Gump on Ice. No, but he I definitely mean, like his performance. Definitely like uh, it's you know, Forrest Gump has, on Ice has, has bits of Tom Hanks in it. You know. Yeah, I think I think that basically he's trying to walk the line of like you know being a tough guy, but then like compensating by trying to be very affable so that you know the character is likable as a protagonist. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I I think he, he he succeeds in that because like I think we all sort of uh, like the audience uh, is, is very sympathetic to to Doug. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. A, there was a story where after they were they had shot the scene where uh, um, Doug is like, I don't have a thing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they went out and were having like a smoke break, and uh, um, Doze is that his name? Uh, Michael Doze, yeah. Michael Doze says to uh, Jay uh, Baruchel, um, "We can he can beat the shit out of anybody now. Like we can have him fight anybody, and the audience will be on his side." So like, oh yeah, yeah. because of that line. But yeah, just I mean, of yeah, that your heart narrative. definitely goes out to Doug. Um, yeah. But it's... he definitely, I think they made him too stupid. I mean, I think especially that scene where the the piece of garbage is blown into his face. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that goes with, a bit far. Yeah, I think with the fact that they like you're trying to get a tough guy, but you're also trying to make him affable and like you know so he can be a protagonist. I think the whole thing yeah. makes it so that him as a character, if you think about it, it's like this is not a person that makes sense unless they're like yeah have a borderline disability, like learning disability. Like he seems yeah, incredibly because... stupid. Like it's like. Okay, it's kind of like Lenny from, uh, you know, um, uh, Mice and Men. Yeah, right, well, exactly, because yeah. if they make him smart, then, if, or not even smart, if they give him any self-awareness or, or, or raises intelligence at all, he's, like, he's self-aware vicious. of the violence. He's in, It's vicious, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So, I don't know. It's so they, kind of they a have to make him not situation. vicious, but then it's like, who is this person? <laughs> Yeah, but he's also like just like so like soft, like hilariously in a way. Because yeah. like the first time they introduce him, when he's like he when he's like a bouncer, he's like beating the guy up, and he's like the like he's like I'm so sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so just to jump back after after the the script was written, um. You know, and pre-production was underway in Winnipeg. Uh, the movie almost entirely fell apart. Um, 
it lost a major part of its funding and was basically, it was done. Um, but according to the producer, Jesse Shapira, in order to like finance the film, he mm-hmm. called his father and his uncle um, as emergency investors. Okay. Um, and they obliged. <laughs> so <laughs> who are so his I, father and his uncle? That they have that much money. Yeah, his 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 uncle was like a CEO of of some some company, and and his father was like a retired neurosurgeon or something like that. I don't remember. But oh, okay, <laughs> right. Well, that's that's pretty lucky. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, by the box office success, I guess they didn't get their money back. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Screwed. They might have after the money from Netflix. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they had they had um, streaming rights or something. Yeah, hopefully. Know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I as I mentioned, the filming was, uh, took place in Winnipeg. Uh, Brandon uh, and uh, Portage La Prairie, all Manitoba. Okay, cool. Um, in huh. 2010. Good province. <laughs> Excellent province. Yeah. Ah, um, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mosquitoes. There's mosquitoes everywhere. <laughs> all yeah, I mean, there's a lot of mosquitoes in Ontario here, but like, you know, I've only been to Manitoba once, and it was in the middle of mosquito season. So I don't know. I feel like I'm biased here. I've never had as much issue in Ontario. Anyway, um, this week on the Mosquito Podcast, where Canada has is the densest mosquitoes. <laughs> um, yeah, this kind of brings me to the to the our next our next uh, segment here. Um, because the movie also featured a number of of references, intentional or not, I think some of them may or may not have been intentional to, to some Jamie real Michelle life. Michelle being a fan of incest. Sorry, oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was a weird joke. Oh yeah, that yeah. <laughs> His well, stripper cousin. One thing is like I think he made that character intentionally like terrible. Gross. Yeah. Well, because yeah, he was he was doing a Boston accent, right? Right, and he hates and as, Boston fans. Yeah, he's a yeah Montreal exactly. Fan. <laughs> Being a Habs fan, I, I can't imagine that he thinks too highly of people from Boston or <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he wrote in uh, some real life incidents in uh, in hockey. So I thought we'd go through some of those in greater detail. Yes, we shall. Okay. Uh, so are we going to talk about George Lavoie? <laughs> Yeah, he's in here for sure. We can yeah. talk about him first if you want. Yeah, cool. Uh, I mean, obviously, because I think it's British because he's in it. He's in the movie. So um, he's sort of like uh, the classic enforcer kind of player. He 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 uh, he played uh, between 2010 and uh, wait, sorry, he played between 1995 and 2015. Yeah, and uh, basically. Um, he was sort of a classic enforcer. He played for teams like the Oilers, the Coyotes, uh, the Penguins, and the Canadians, the Habs. Right. Yeah. And um, he the... also served as a deputy uh, deputy leader uh, of the Green Party of Canada. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Random. Kid he was that. also described by Jay Baruchel as being one of his favorite players. Yeah. Classic. Checks um, out. Yeah. <laughs> and he's from Montreal as well, which you know, perhaps right. I'm sure. Yeah. Um so he's in the movie a couple of times, right? Yeah. So but the the most famous incident that they sort of take from 
George LaRock's career is the scene um, where uh, Ross the Boss Ray is uh, is facing off against this other guy. And then they say, hey, you want to go? Yeah, let's go. And then they just fight. Uh, or wait, was it? No, I think it's when Doug Glatt fights LaRock. Yeah, that's oh, when Doug he fights Glatt fights LaRock. Sorry, no, he does. Yeah. He does also. But Ross the Boss Ray also fights the Rock though at some point. Yeah, that, and that's yeah. the first scene. But he's Sorry, like, yeah, yeah, he's I'm like, how long does that hair take you to do? And he's like, oh, a couple hours. He's like, oh, it look, looks good. You know, maybe kind of look like you know a demented Stevie Wonder or something like that or whatever. The yeah, yeah, is. yeah. But, yeah. And that's and then the first scene. Of his and that's, but yeah, no, but the, so the the scene you're talking about that's the one where Doug Glatt right. uh, fights. Sorry, him. yeah, and you're right. and so, and. So they, you know, you could just put the clip in here. Yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> put, put the clip and then put the real clip. Yes, I will. Yeah. Um, because what happens is, yeah, it, it they literally took took uh exactly from a, an incident because Larock was on a hot mic in a in a game between the Coyotes and the Kings. Oh, really? Cool. Um, yeah. So there's there's actual footage of that of that him him like being like, oh, so you want to go? All right, man. Sure. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that from? Hilarious. This was like not that long ago. I feel like two thousand six. Two thousand. Okay. Well, it was. Yeah. So it's 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 pre lockout. So right. <laughs> Prime enforcer era. Yeah. You can't stop. It's like caress. Hey, wanna go? Yeah. Okay. Good luck, man. Good luck to you too, buddy. What drops in yes? Five average penalty minutes per game. Oh, we got a scrap here. Oh yeah. boy. It's gonna be Ivanas and Larock. Larock's got the mic gun too. That gets some juicy oh. stuff out of that. You want to? Okay. Squirrel? Okay, good luck, man. Let's go, he says. That's unbelievable. Look at him, the smile on his face. <laughs> so, another great one. This one's fun as hell. Um, it's the first incident in the movie um, and the one which, uh, you know, catalyzes Doug to become an enforcer. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> You know the scene I'm talking about. Um, um, I think I know what it's based on too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the, the origin one... of this one. Okay, well, I think you're gonna enjoy it. It's the one where so the scene where a player from the visiting team climbs climbs into the stands to yeah. attack Jay Baruchel. Yeah. Um, is that based so... on the Tidobi game actually? No, it's not. Oh, okay. but, yeah, that, that's hilarious. I've got. To, we'll talk about that in just a second. Oh, I thought that's actual... what it was, but we'll talk no, about that. We'll... <laughs> That's that's similar, but no, the real life incident that kind of mirrors that um, event involves a game at Madison Square Garden um, between the Rangers and uh, who else? The Boston Bruins. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah. So so at the end of the third, Boston Boston's leading the game four to three. Um, Phil Esposito. Um, a ranger, a uh, former Bruin, and a future co-founder of the Tampa Bay Lightning, 
um, gets a breakaway and a chance to tie the game and uh, send it to overtime. But the uh, the Boston uh, goalie, uh, Jerry Cheevers, denies him with a diving blocker uh, to stop uh, to stop the puck in the final seconds of the game. Uh, then Esposito smashes his stick on the ice and skates off. Um, the buzzer sounds, and Boston wins the game. Um, but then right after the buzzer, Bruins winger Al Secord sucker punches uh, a ranger for no reason. Yeah, um, like... That that fight like seems kind of ridiculous to me because it's it's like not even like you know they didn't pull any like shit that should have offended them they just like kind of no. they just kind of were mad I guess yeah and Boston won and then yeah, he still sucker they punched fucking won. <laughs> weird okay he, he said it was pay he said it was payback for a similar move from this guy earlier on in the game but right. anyway a scrap erupts uh, along the boards. Um, during which uh, a guy um, named John Capitan, I think you pronounce it, um, he reached over the glass and he swatted Bruin enforcer Stan Jonathan um, under the eye with a rolled-up program, Uh-oh. drawing blood. That's not a good um, No, it's not. It's not a good situation. Um, according to to that enforcer, uh, quote unquote, I put up my stick to protect myself, and he just took it. And I can't be hitting no fan with a stick, really, eh? So I just let him take it. Um, <laughs> he's a Canadian. Yeah, um, <laughs> at the time, uh, Captain, the guy who took the stick, who was at the game with his, uh, his brother and father, he, uh, he alleged that uh, one of the players had hit his brother first and uh-huh. that he was retaliating on behalf of his brother. But I don't really know how that's possible considering they were, like, they were in the stands. Right. So like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they had to reach over the over the glass. But yeah, like I saw the footage of this and it was it was a fucking brawl. We right. haven't even yeah. Was there it's, no it's climbing the into the stands and fighting? There was, yeah. Terry O'Reilly was the first Bruin to climb into the stands to quote unquote detain captain. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, the guy who took the stick. Um and then he was surprisingly, uh, he was closely followed by a guy, na- a guy named Peter McNabb, um, which, according to a former Bruins coach, was a very out of character move for him to climb into the stands. Um, that former Bruins coach was yes, that was Don Cherry. Oh, um, <laughs> and yes, and Good yes, Don grapes. Cherry was very impressed. Wait, wait, did was... Don Cherry punch anyone? No, he wasn't. He wasn't the coach at the time. Right, he was the okay. coach the year before. But he was very impressed with the whole incident. Oh uh, yeah, of um, course he fucking because he wanted them to he wanted them to fight harder when he was the coach. So he was like, "Yeah, it's fucking good. Fuck that guy. Fuck Don Cherry." <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, the the guy who saved the game for the Bruins, Jerry Cheevers, um, and one of the defensemen, a guy named Mike Milbury, uh, they were all oh, yeah. already in the locker room um, when they heard about the situation. Uh, Cheevers, quote unquote, wanted no part of it. But Milbury rushed into action. Um, long story short, the incident culminated with Mike Milbury repeatedly whacking John Capitan with his own shoe after throwing <laughs> him onto the stands, while what? literally every other Bruin besides the goalie brawls with various Rangers fans in the stands. That's hilarious. So this this is the same Mike Milbury that like recently got in trouble for just saying 
horrible shit on the air, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> oh my god. Is the he got he got kicked out for saying uh, he got fired for saying that the uh, I guess the in the 2020 uh, bubble playoffs that at least there weren't women to distract the players. Right, oh, but I mean, Christ. he said like other terrible shit as well. It's like oh, it's not over just the course this. of the years, but that was yeah, the, yeah. that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, he, exactly. He climbed into the Rangers stand and beat a Rangers fan with his own shoe. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, so it's> like... <laughs> I mean, he had it coming. To be fair, <laughs> the video is so fucking surreal. You should watch the video. It's on YouTube. Um... <laughs> uh, what, what's the date of the game? People can look this up. Uh, what was it? Seventy nine, I think. Okay, it's nineteen seventy nine. Uh, this is in the playoffs. I don't know, if, but just nineteen seventy nine. Um, Madison Square Garden, Bruins, in the stands. Right. Probably. All you need I, I'm, I'm just imagining this in the playoffs because, like, if it wasn't in the playoffs, I don't understand why people got so angry. <laughs> well, because they were sprawling in the stands. No, no, it's just like, how would that even happen in a non-playoff game? No, it's true. Like, Why people is everybody, would just have to be did... so revved up for no reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so O'Reilly, the first guy to climb into the stands, he was suspended for eight games. Um, McNabb and uh, the second guy to climb in Millbury were both suspended for six games, while every other Bruin, because they all climbed into the stands except for Cheevers, um, was fined $500. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Captain, the guy who took the stick, uh, he was later charged, but the charges were dropped. Um, right. And then he brought forth, he brought forth a lawsuit, and then the lawsuit fizzled out, so nothing came of it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so no, so people got arrested, but nobody actually got charged. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, anything's allowed in an NHL ice rink. <laughs> You know, Not the law just doesn't apply there. It says so in the, in the Criminal Code of Canada. But I mean, <laughs> I guess this is in the States. <laughs> so as you were talking about, there's also the inverted version that with, with, uh, with Ty Domi. So yeah, um, I, I, I guess Ty Domi holds a special place in, in our hearts. Uh, <laughs> as a leaf enforcer. As, as the enforcer yeah. for the Leafs uh, during our, our childhoods. Not particularly for Do me, you... but... No, I'm not... I don't have a, I don't have a soft spot for him. I, I, I didn't say soft spot. I said holds a special place in my heart. Oh, I see. There's, there's, right. a, there's a difference there. I'm more a fan of his Calm Wave commercials. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> oh, knock but out yeah, like, the competition. Ty Domi was an absolute fucking psychopath, so, like, you know. Very little would surprise me about him. <laughs> so, so from from this game, I forget when it was. I think it was two thousand, two thousand one, or something. Um, there's there was a a series of back and forth antagonization between uh, a Philadelphia fan and uh, Ty Domi while he was in the penalty um, box. Yeah, while he was in the penalty box, there, there was it, some squirting of some water bottles, right? Yeah, I think I think they were like throwing stuff at him in the penalty box, and he like squirted his water bottle on a fan or something. Yeah, um, and then so the fan reaches over the glass to attack Domi, um, 
the glass breaks and the fan falls into the penalty pot uh, penalty box and proceeds to scrap Domi. Well, I think yeah, Domi just knocks him out basically. Well, yeah, it's more like Domi proceeds to scrap this guy. Yeah, yeah. And from what I heard, <laughs> actually, this actually led to a lot of issues at this guy, and and he was like suing Ty Domi and all this stuff. Look, uh, did Ty Domi concuss him? No, I don't exactly know what happened, but anyway, basically, like. There was suing, and then his agent and stuff was dealing with it, and then Ty Dummy was like, okay, I just want to get this over with. So he gets a hold of this guy's phone number, this Philadelphia fan. He's like, he's like, listen, I just want this whole situation to be over, so like, what will end this? And then he basically ends up just uh, paying for tickets for him and his family to come see uh, Philadelphia versus Leafs game in Toronto. And for their travel oh, across, and then he like meets them after the game. Wouldn't and you be some worried stuff. something would happen again? No, but then they're like, then then like he shakes his hand afterwards, and they like you oh, know okay. were friendly. And I'm like, how did that turn so suddenly that like this guy like got like so you know weird. like a signature and some free tickets out of this, and like got to? I don't know, man. You want to go? Good luck. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, he respects <laughs> the enforcer's like... code. It's the code, man. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the code, um, I figured now we can take a, a, a very brief hockey history lesson because it's also relevant to the references made in the movie. All right. Um, um, so the history of enforcer culture, um, I think, speaking of Philly, can be traced back to Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about about the two-time champion Philly team, nicknamed the Broad Street Bullies. I watched a short oh. documentary on it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we actually all watched uh, the same documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't their goaltender was... lose his eye? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, didn't I, I realized catch that, but no. uh, did he? Uh, I think so. I presume that would stop you from being a goaltender. Well, I think he, yeah, I think he was after that first cup win. Um, yeah. Let me just, let me just see if I can find this. I mean, presume, yeah, I, I don't see how you could be an NHL caliber goaltender with one eye. <laughs> yeah, but, but these guys, no, I don't think, there's no way you can be. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no way. It's just impossible. But yeah, they were the, this team was nicknamed the Broad Street Bullies, and uh, suffice it to say, they earned that nickname and then some. Um, yeah. So, as you guys know, the Flyers were an expansion team, um, and the general vibe was that being drafted to Philly was like a career death sentence, um, because there like wasn't any hockey culture. Yeah, I mean historically. Expansion teams have just, you know, generally done poorly. You know, it's actually been a bit of a anomaly that uh, that the Vegas Golden Knights competed uh, more recently, uh, well after their first year. Sorry, so I think I found this here. Um, so, uh, yeah, so in uh, in the 1973-74 season of the uh, Flyers, the first year they won the Cup, I believe, uh, Barry Ashby, who is one of their defenders, uh, was one of their best players on the team. Um, 
Uh, and he, in that, in a playoff series against the New York Rangers, his career was ended by getting hit in the eye with a puck. And oh, he lost shit. his eye and then oh, later died of leukemia. This is the goaltender? No, this no, is one defense of their defensemen. Man. Oh, defense. But, sorry, so there was defense. one of the Broad Street bullies whose eye was uh, yes. right. destroyed by a puck. And you know, you know, if if they just wore visors, man, you know it. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or helmets at all. Yeah, so um, yeah, I guess they weren't wearing any helmets at all. Yeah, shit. Uh, um, they performed fairly well in their first few seasons. Um, the first season was marked by an incident where the roof blew off of their stadium. Um, after the first fifty-two <laughs> games, really. So they had to play the rest of their home games on the road. Um. In both of their first two seasons, they made the playoffs, um, but were destroyed in the first round by the St. Louis Blues um, in two brutal series mm. um, where they just got absolutely the shit kicked out of them and brutalized and just fucked up. Um, so after these losses, that's when they started to draft enforcers and scrappy players and whatnot. We're not tough um, enough. Yeah, exactly. So they got mm. players like Dave Schultz. I don't know if you've heard of him, but Dave the Hammer um, Schultz. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> One of the most famous enforcers enforcers of all time. Yeah. Um, and you've also got Bob Kelly, Bill Barber, and just you know a bunch of insane Canadians with the Doug Glatt mentality of protecting their scorers with a ruthless brutality. Yeah. Um, I mean, can can we go back to Dave Schultz for a second? Oh yeah. Um. I, I Dave Schultz like obviously became like a very like popular figure in Philly. Yeah. And actually he became so popular that uh he had a song recorded uh about him. Oh oh uh, he It's not no, it's not about him. Well he recorded it. It's, it's also him. about him. Yeah, it's about yeah, him, he, but it's, he's yeah. singing it. Him perform singing the... is a strong word. Yeah. Well I mean, yeah, I guess I should just fucking play it for you then, boys. Yeah. <laughs> How long will you keep me in the penalty box? Baby, I'm wrong, but it's lonely in the penalty box. I know I broke the rules, but rules are broken by fools. Baby, how long will you keep me in the penalty box? Love is like an ice hockey game. Sometimes it can be rough. Girl, you got me so all aflame. I never, never get enough. You got me charging and cooking, holding and hooking, and then you blow the whistle on me. When you gonna let me go free? Don't you know how slow go the penalty clocks with their tickety tocks in the penalty box? Oh yeah, since so. That's I mean, you funny. know, it's it's not quite as good as clear the sh- clear the track for Eddie Shack, but you know, it's uh, oh, it's a good one. I like how he's like, it's like, oh, you know, once in a while you got to put the rules aside. Like, oh, I think David the Hammer Schultz was doing that more than once in a while. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. It's a- it's actually like surprising. I've looked into this how like how big of a market apparently there was for like um hockey players recording records. This was he was a number one song. He yeah, beat this is a Elton number one John. song in Philadelphia. That's he beat funny. Elton John. Right. I, I, I in that. Philadelphia, just to be clear, not night, <laughs> not not nationwide, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, of that Broad Street Bullies team too. The the original, like, I mean, you got the Dave the Hammer Schultz, and he basically plays foil for Bobby Clark, who was kind of one of their finesse players, but he's like the original Brad Martian, and he was just hack and slash all the time, like slashing people in the ankles, slashing people in the mouth, <laughs> just doing whatever, oh, yeah. so dirty. And then anytime somebody would try and fight him, he would just run away. Yeah, so he's 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 a bit of like a, a, a Brad Marchand kind of player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Score, exactly. slash you in the mouth, yeah, and then run away guy, while Dave Schultz punches you. So needless to say, they were hated league-wide by oh, teams yeah. and fans alike, and, and NHL executives. Everybody hated him. Because because they literally won games by beating the other teams into submission. They were so fucking brutal. Like you can't I can't overstate it. Like um <laughs> both both years they won the cup, they uh led the season in penalty minutes by like an obscene margin. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well like, I mean it was after this that like a bunch of uh rule changes were made to basically try to clean up the game a little bit. Yeah. Between the seventies and the eighties the the rule book like doubled in, in length. Yeah. yeah. Well, then immediately after their two cup wins, like, I think, you know, it was at the same time the Habs were, had the most oppressive amount of skill. And I think in their second year, they somehow managed to beat the Habs. Uh, But then immediately after that, the Habs won, I think they won seven cups in a row. Like, they just just cleaned up. Yeah. 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 They held off at the the Habs for a bit, but not (laughs) for one season. Just by beating them to death, and then you know, yeah. and then all the rest of the teams were like, "Fine, I guess we'll get some enforcers too." Yeah. And then they're like, "Okay, well, our advantage basically, doesn't work anymore." Yeah. Basically, yeah, they basically like sparked an arms race <laughs> yeah. of enforcers. Um, but they had depth too. You know, Dave Dave Schultz scored twenty goals um in in the regular season. Um, yeah. but. A hilarious story about about the Philly team is I forget exactly which year I think it was the the between um, the first and second cup win um, the Soviet national team came to the U S to challenge the NHL teams um, and they just un- embarrassed the NHL they swept the board um, they defeated like every other NHL team um, so then they played Philly. Um, and the executives were like, you have to win this game, Philly, even though we hate you. Um, <laughs> I, I remember this. It's like, yeah, it's, they hated them until it was time for them to beat the Soviets. And they're like, hey, now we're all rooting for you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Soviets literally walked off the ice in the first period because of how brutal the game was. <laughs> they're like, we're not willing to do this. They just quit yeah, and went like, home. This is... Well, yeah, but they they eventually returned to finish the game because they threatened to not pay them. (laughs) (laughs) So they came back onto the ice to finish the game, but they still got just destroyed, brutalized. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, it's terrible, Um, really. (laughs) It's so bad that you have to leave because you're like, okay, I'm not willing to get this injured. And they're like, okay, well, we won't pay you then. You're like, okay, well, I guess I'll do it. Wait, which year was this? I think that was between seventy uh 
74 season, 75 season. Okay. Because they won 74, 75, and 75, 76. So it's between the two seasons, I think. That they, I think, played the Soviets. Um, okay, so it was the, the Super Series 76. I, I just want to point out that that's, that's, it's not entirely true that the Soviet team swept uh, all the other teams. Wow, no. Uh, they tied the, the Habs. Okay. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> not t- entirely true. Okay, my mistake. Yeah. Yeah, they did kick me. the shit out of the Bruins and the, the Rangers, so good on them. Did they fight them in the stands is the real question. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it for, for Philly. Um, but, yeah, they basically they wrote the, the enforcer handbook, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, for real NHL references in the movie, um, there's that scene where Ray slashes the guy in the back of the head. Yeah. Sorry, before we move on, uh, I just want to point out that that documentary that you were talking about uh, was actually um, narrated by Liv Schreiber, who's in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. The documentary that, yeah, that. The Broad Street Bullies documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Great documentary, by the way. Yeah, it's interesting, y- y- yeah. If, if interesting. you're uh, interested in hockey or hockey history, uh, you might want to check it out. Specifically the, 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 that team, the championship yeah. teams. Well, it's interesting because they, in, they have all these interviews with these guys who are on, that, on those teams. And basically they're just, yeah. they're just re- recollecting. They're like, yeah, we were, we were pretty brutal. <laughs> we yeah we kind of savaged everybody yeah yeah we weren't really we yeah. oh yeah i punched a lot of people oh yeah that was pretty bad yeah yeah basically the last one is the the scene where uh ray slashes that other guy in the back of the head yeah that's oh, right at the beginning. suspended you're right at the beginning yeah doug sees it on tv and he gets suspended for 20 games yeah um that's a big fucking suspension, eh? Well, yeah. I mean, he did literally just hit him over the head with his stick. But I mean, like, to be honest, like, if Brad Marchand did that, he would not even be suspended. <laughs> well, so this is very similar to an incident um, that took place between, guess who, the Bruins, um, and the Canucks. Sure. No, in 2001. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so Bruins and Canucks, 2001, there's a 4.6 seconds left on the clock. Um, Bruin and former Gretzky winger, uh, Marty McSorley, um, he slashed Canuck, uh, Donald Brashear in the back of the head. Um, and then Brashear fell backwards and cracked his head on the ice. Ooh, um, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, it looked it looked brutal. He got a grade three concussion. Oof. Um, and it was one of the few instances in the in NHL history when a player was charged with assault with a weapon. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Jeez, that must have been really fucking brutal. Sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, the clip is pretty brutal. It's in, it's it, he looks um Brashear looks totally just gone. Right. It's it's rough. Um, so yeah, obviously he was suspended for the rest of the season, which amounted to 23 games. Okay. Um, he was charged with assault with a weapon. He was found guilty. Um, right. 
sentenced to 18 months probation. Right. And the incident, yeah, the incident ended his dwindling career, um, and he never played in the NHL again. So is this what that was based on? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I mean, like I said at the beginning of this, uh, intentional or not, I don't know. But these are just the things that have a pretty clear similarity with but yeah like events. knowing knowing jay i think like it's uh it's pretty clear that he probably knew about it and put it in there yeah <laughs>